the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. You may be seated. We find ourselves this evening looking at a very familiar piece of paper like this uh, for the book of Ruth. There is an interesting I don't know if I want to call it a social quirk. There's an interesting dynamic found within the book of Ruth. And we're going to land on it later on this evening. And the idea there is the word kinsman or redeemer. Now that word is used 13 times in four chapters. Does that mean anything? 13 times in four chapters it ought to. The key words, if you'll, if you'll allow me to use those, faith, love, rest, redemption. And if you have to pick one, I guess Ruth 3.11 is as good as any other to pick as the key verse. The phrase that we're going to spend our time looking at uh, is, Entreat me not to leave. In my Bible, I have written over most of, most every book of the Bible, some sort of quip about what that book is about. Here's Ruth, the sweetest love story ever told. This book falls chronologically speaking after the book of Judges, or rather in the time of the book of Judges. Uh, uh, Ruth considers, or is considered by most of the Jewish nation as an appendix to the scriptures. Same reason why Daniel is. See, it's about a Gentile. And Daniel is not strong enough as a Jew, they would say, uh, to be like Jonah, who hated those Gentiles he was preaching to. Daniel loved those. And so they put them in a weird section called the other writings, the appendix of this particular Bible. Ruth is found in Matthew chapter 1 in verse number 5. In that particular verse, she is found there with a lady by the name of Rahab. You remember her? Yeah. You remember how she, she sort of turned her life around and then began to follow after Jesus and made those things right as we find her in the chronological order of ladies in the, in the genealogy of Jesus? The second Gentile lady mentioned in the chronological order of Jesus is Ruth. Which would almost be a shame to those in the, in the Jewish nation. Not only do you have one Gentile in the family, now you've got two. Well, y'all just let anything roll, won't you, Jesus? Anything can happen in your family, right? Well, Jesus lives underneath the same uh, restraints with his family as you and I do. We can pick our friends, but we can't pick our family, huh? Yeah. 
Jesus didn't have any option to say, I want this particular person in my family, but not that particular person. Even though he is the Son of God, even though he is God in the flesh, he doesn't have that opportunity. And here he is, the second Gentile, who makes a, an appearance in the chronological order of the genealogies of Jesus, just as another barb that perhaps those Pharisees and Sadducees could use to question his true Jewishness, if that's even a word. Well, you know, you have Gentiles in your family. Yeah, well. You know, they never mention you have David in your family. Never mention that one. They want to go to, to the awful sides of things so they see. Here is a book about a Gentile woman who marries a Jewish man. And we're going to look at this book as it has four chapters. We're going to look at it in, in four statements, really. As you and I look at the, the book of Ruth, we see that the Bible is filled with examples. And those examples can be good and those examples can be bad. As a matter of fact, you can have good examples and bad examples in the same lifetime. Noah built a boat to the saving of his family. Yes, Noah got drunk. No. You see, those examples are not uh, written in the way that you and I would write a book. If I'm going to write a book and it's going to be about uh, this hero or heroine of, of this particular book, I'm going to write all the good things about them. I'm going to present them in the most positive light possible, and I'm not going to share those bad things. That's not the Bible. The Bible shows us just like any other thing. You take the good, you take the bad. You know, you take them all, and then you've had the facts of life, right? This is where he is. Examples good and bad. And it's to teach man how God wants to be served rather than teaching man what you do is okay. This is teaching man how God wants to be served so that when we approach his throne, we can serve him properly. As our, uh, Ruth is, is no, uh, not uh, any way foreign to that particular idea. The setting of Ruth we find in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1 and in Judges chapter 21 verse number 25. Judges 21 would tell us that mankind all over Israel is doing what they want to do, how they want to do it, and they're saying to God, you're going to have to be okay with that. Well, in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, we find the family of Ruth who she will marry into uh, leaving Israel because of a famine. The purpose of this particular book is the ancestry of Christ. How many of you are grandparents? How many of you bore folks to death with the pictures of your... How many of you show your grandchildren, right? Have you seen this? Have you seen my grandchild here? Have you seen that? You know what helps out the most nowadays with that particular process is social media. You can find that all the time. And that's a good thing. But I need you to understand this fact. If you don't understand anything else, if you don't get anything else out of this, understand this fact. When you're looking at books like Ruth and really the Old Testament in general, what you're looking at is a photo album of the family of Jesus. 
That's what you're looking at. And here you've turned the page, and here she is. Ruth. Every page within the Old Testament points to the ancestry of Christ. And also this particular book, God's going to reinforce the fact that he's going to reward those who were wise and make spiritual choices that are good. This book is tiny as it's written, but there are several, several lessons you and I can learn from that. Let's take chapter 1, and we're going to look at four statements, one per chapter, and the lesson will be yours. Number 1, Ruth chapter 1, 1 through 22, we're not going to read it all. But, here is the statement made, and it is found in... uh, Well, I probably shouldn't do that. I should probably know where it's at before. Verse number 16. Her statement is, I will go. When we run into Ruth and her family, as chapter 1 begins to unfold, we find her marrying a Jewish man, and seemingly everything went well. And then the two brothers of Ruth and Naomi, the, the two wives of those two brothers, they die. Not only do they die, but their father dies. So now you have Ruth and Naomi, who are daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, and then her sister Orpha, who are in this particular society without a man. I know. I see how you're looking at me when I make that statement, without a man. That's not a welcome statement in 2021. Don't, if you're looking at it through Arkansas eyes in 2021, you're looking at it wrongly. Go back. The only way they get to participate in the market is a husband. The only way they get the opportunity to get food and those things that they need and, and textiles and all those things, husband. So for them, when this husband dies... That is, in effect, for them in three weeks, a death sentence. If they don't get food, if they don't get water, if they don't get clothing, if they don't get shelter, they're going to die. They are now in a desperate situation to which Naomi tells both uh, Ruth and Orpah, just go back home. And a lot of times, we associate the phrase, go back home, with them just going back to Israel. That's a wrong association because Ruth and Orpah both are from Midian. She says, go back home to Midian. Go back to your family. uh, Collect the pieces of your life. You're young enough. Get married again. Have a good life. Uh, You've taken good care of my my children and me. And so there's nothing that's going to tie you here. Ruth's sister takes her up on that offer, and she goes back home. Now, here's something to notice about that. That's in Ruth 1, 7 through 9, 16 and 17. Here's what you need to know. As you're reading through the first chapter of the book of Ruth, when Orpah leaves, you know God doesn't say anything negative about her? It's a choice. She had the opportunity to go back home. There's nothing wrong with the choice. 
It's going to be easier for her. She's going to be around the culture that she understands and that she knows. And she can have an opportunity to grieve. And she can have an opportunity to meet some fellow that she may have known growing up. And they're going to have a wonderful life. God doesn't say anything negatively about her leaving. But there's something about the statement, I will go, that sets her apart from her sister. Look at verse number uh, 16 beginning. Ruth says in answering her mother-in-law, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God. Wherever thou diest, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me even more. If aught be death, part thee and me. The choice here is this. Are you going to change everything you know and take up the mantle of Judaism? Take up the mantle of being a child of God underneath those Old Testament rules and regulations. Are you going to do that? Now she had, for at least a period of time, been introduced to that with her husband and with the family she was living with. But now, are you going to abandon everything you know to follow God? And she said, not only will I go to that land, I'll stay with you till you die and God uh, punish me if anything parts us but death. There's a statement here with Ruth's choice, I will go. She's going to a strange land. To a people that probably won't accept her. How does the nation of Israel think about Samaritans? Who at least were half Jewish. God forbid what they think about a full-on Gentile. She said, I'm going to go back to the land with you. I'm going to follow and do the things that I have always done, and you're going to be my family. And in a very telling statement that is probably read over quickly is this. Your God will be my God. Not only is she giving up everything she knows culturally, she's giving up everything she knows spiritually. Everything she understands about God's little G or big G, anything she understands there, she is pushing all of that to the side in order to follow the God of heaven and earth. You want to talk about a girl who's converted? There she is. Ruth says, I will go in chapter 1. What about chapter 2? It's the whole chapter once again. Ruth says... Let me glean. Now, as a show of hands here, young'uns, how many of you have ever used the word glean at any time ever? All right, older folks, how many of you have ever within the past decade or in the millennium of the 2000s ever used the word glean? We won't use that much. Well, what's he talking about there? Well, Ruth finds herself when she goes back to Israel 
being the poorest of the poor. And, and you and I need to go back to Genesis chapter 38 to understand what she's doing. One of the laws in Genesis 38, aside from the Leveret laws, is the law that we have commonly called the, the poor corners. You see, the, the law in Genesis 38 is that a man who has uh, land in order to grow grain or, or whatever substance he's growing on there doesn't glean, doesn't harvest all the grain off of that field. Matter of fact, he leaves the corners of those fields for people who don't have land. And it's interesting, as you look at a man's field, you can tell how generous he is. If he goes right up to the edge and leaves three little stalks over here, it's going to be a tough for a person to even get skinny on three little stalks of grain. If you see a man who not only cuts the corners wide, but also leaves the edge rows, you're dealing with a man who's generous. And as she begins to speak to one of the kinsmen of Naomi, she begins to speak to a man by the name of Boaz. And her request is that she is simply allowed to go gather grain in those corners. I am sure that, that Boaz knows the predicament under which Ruth lives, that she's a widow, and that she's a Midianite. He knows that. And Boaz, let's, let's see how to say this. Listen, let's, can we just talk frankly here? Boaz is a fellow who has eyeballs that work. And he sees Ruth and says she's attractive. And from chapter 2, verse 8 through chapter 17, she goes out there and she picks. And she, she gets what she needs. And then Boaz sends about 30 to 50 pounds worth of food over there to her. I wonder why that is. Don't downplay the fact that Boaz is attracted to Ruth and thinks she is an attractive person. But when she makes the statement, let me glean, she's saying, allow God to provide for me the, say, the way he said he would. You know what he didn't say to him? Or what she didn't say to him? Give me. Make sure I have... Take care of us because we, no, what she's looking for in chapter 2 is simply an opportunity to be able to eat. She shows herself to Boaz not only as one who has chosen the right path, but one also who is industrious. Does that remind you of anybody? Perhaps Proverbs 31? That lady who gets up early and provides for her family? That lady who is industrious? Ruth says, let me glean chapter 2. Notice chapter 3. The underlying statements from chapters 2, or chapter 2 into chapter 3, 
is that Boaz is learning more about Ruth and is growing closer to her, even though Ruth is either playing it cool or she doesn't know. And I hadn't decided which one. But Boaz is looking at her and saying, this lady is unmarried, and as a kinsman redeemer, I, I can understand that. And she's checking all the boxes. I mean, with except that one where she's a Gentile and all. Other than that, she checks every single one of them. And so Naomi, the mother, gives Ruth some advice in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. First, she says this, wash yourself and put on some good clothes. Side note, if you want to date somebody, here's biblical principle. Don't stink and wear clean clothes. That helps you out a lot. And then she does something very odd. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 hold two of the weirdest ancient traditions that I believe I've ever read in my life. She goes into the threshing floor where Boaz is asleep. And Naomi says, go and uncover his feet. And that would be up to about the mid-calf. And then lay down beside him. Now, what, what we think of is folks laying right beside each other like this, right? She's going to uncover his feet and lay like this. As she lays perpendicular to his body down here, that's a sign of submission. It's a sign of her giving herself over to him in a, in a position of slavery. There's nothing sexual about this idea at all. It's, it's all about how she is presenting herself to him. So she uncovers his feet for whatever reason that is. How many of you sleep with your feet under the covers? How many of you don't? How many of you sleep with only one? You know that's how the monsters get in, right? And she uncovers his feet. If my feet get uncovered long enough, then my body cools off and somehow I wake up and I go, where are these covers? Put that back on my feet. And what you're going to find in Ruth chapter 3 is Boaz is going to do the same thing. Why is it so cold in here? Somebody cover up my feet. How'd they get uncovered? He looks down and what happens? Here's Naomi presenting herself as a servant in submission to him and he still repays her in kindness. Verses 16 and 17. He still is, is pouring kindness out to her. And she says this, Take your, now here's your phrase, maidservant. Here's what he didn't say. I, I know we, we a lot of times look at it and say, well, what, this is what Boaz said, but let's look at, or, or Ruth said, but let's look at what she didn't say. You and I should be married. I'm doing this to get your attention so that you will think you and I should be married. She's still presenting herself to him as a servant. Go back in your mind, or really at this point from Ruth, forward in your mind to Luke chapter 15. 
Here's a boy in a hog pen, and his question to himself is, how many servants in my father's house have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Maybe she presents herself as a handmaid, so he will provide the, the substance so she can live. But it all sets the stage for the statement we made way back at the beginning, kinsman, redeemer. Once again, Genesis chapter 38 deals with something called the Leveret Law. Here's kind of how they go. My wife has a sister, so we use those in an example for today. My sister-in-law and my wife are two different people. Let's suppose her husband passes away. I, underneath those leveret laws from uh, Genesis 38, could, I had the opportunity to, take Brandy's sister as my wife, raise children to her husband and in his honor. Not going to do that. But that would be an option. Many people exercise that, that option. Here's where we're going to see it. The kinsman redeemer. Have we not turned over there yet? I did in my paper. I hadn't turned over here yet. In Ruth chapter 4, the phrase is going to be, she bore a son. So in the idea of the kinsman redeemer, you have Boaz, who is down the family line of Naomi, the mother of the deceased husband of Ruth from chapter 1. Y'all following that? That's a long way back. But he's not the nearest kinsman redeemer. Somebody else is in line in front of him, and they could redeem her, and he never get a chance to. Now, the second weirdest thing in ancient tradition happens in this chapter. He asks the fellow, he said, do you want to redeem uh, Ruth? And he says, really, I just want the land. I don't want Ruth as my wife. And so Boaz takes off his shoe and hands it to the guy. Anybody got anything on that? I don't know. And here's what I'll tell you that I've read. And you can make your own assumptions about what this means. Some say that this taking off of the shoe and handing it to the other guy is a sign of respect. That he's going to give him a pair of shoes, and that being the symbolic shoe, and, and that sort of allows this, this closer one to step out of the way and say, Boaz, you go right ahead as the kinsman redeemer. Some say that the shoe is a, a trade for her and those rights. And that Boaz just kind of has to walk off with uh, Ruth, the land, and, and one shoe. I don't know. I know this. 
When we signed the papers on our house a couple of years ago when we moved here, I didn't have to give them any shoes. So whatever this shoe idea is, he is allowing, Boaz is allowing the one who had the right first to say, no, thank you, I don't want that. When he does, Boaz says, I will be the kinsman redeemer. You know what Boaz is saying to her, especially as kinsman redeemer? I will provide for her and give her life. Sound like anybody familiar? It would be Job who would speak in Job chapter 19 and verse number 25, who would use this same idea and say, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he will, he will stand on this earth one day. When you and I read the book of Ruth, we need to see Jesus in every facet of Ruth and Boaz's life. Now, as Boaz redeems her, she becomes his wife. And they have a son. Last few verses there, the book of Ruth. They have a son who's Obed. Obed, you may or may not know him. He has a son whose name's Jesse. You may or may not know him, but you know his grandson who had a son named David. Throughout one of the most loving books found within uh, the Old Testament pages of inspiration. You see a love for a man and a woman. You see uh, men and women treating each other properly and with respect. And you see the lineage of Christ fleshing out even more. I don't know anything about Obed other than his grandson. That's good enough. Notice some things here in Ruth. Ruth made a wise choice in chapter 1. And the principle there is God is going to reward me too if I'm wise in my choices and spiritually speaking. Verse 2, or chapter 2. Ruth was very hard even when it seemed to be very hopeless. And she was rewarded for that. I will be too. Chapter 3, Boaz shows kindness and loyalty unto God. He doesn't violate those things that God has put in order. He doesn't violate the sanctity of marriage. He doesn't violate this young lady. And he shows kindness and loyalty to God. In this book. The way that Ruth deals with Boaz, the way that Boaz deals with Ruth, the way that Naomi deals with Ruth and Boaz, the way that they all deal even with Ruth's sister Orpah, they all deal in the, the idea of integrity and character as a child of God. Don't forget Judges chapter 21, where they are living in the, in the nation of Israel, that Judges chapter 21 write that everyone else seemingly in that community and in that uh, nation is doing whatever they want to, however they want to. But in this book you find people 
who are known as the remnant, those who are following after what God would do, how God would say those things. And it has always been found within the, the mass of humanity that there is a group of people doing what God said to do in the same fashion in which God said to do it. What does that all lead me to? Well, that all leads me to this. Are you a part of that group? Are you a part of the group that is doing what God said the way that God said do it? If you're not, you can be. Through simple confession and baptism, through belief and, and uh, uh, repentance, you can be a part of God's church even today. You can be added to that church. That blood uh, for which Jesus died can be poured over you. You can be buried in that. And you can be raised to walk in a newness of life. And as I look at this particular crowd who is in this particular room, it looks like we all have. And that's a good thing. But are you faithful to that God who has saved you? Because that option is still on the board. Or God says, if you've, if you've been living in a way that is contradictory to what I would have you do, you can come back home. I will still redeem you through the blood of that kinsman redeemer. Let me encourage you, take advantage of that while you still have time and opportunity. And right now, while we sing, stand and sing this song of encouragement for us. Yeah. 